Good morning, brothers and sisters. Today we continue our series on Joseph in Genesis 39, and the title for this sermon is Running the Race. Um, it feels like very long ago that children were allowed to go to school uh, in the days that there were group gatherings and marathons and triathlons. Um, and it was in that time that Raffles American School organized a triathlon and Kinza joined in her age group. And Michelle and I also joined in our respective age groups. Um, and Trent also joined um, and many others, of course. And for me, it was the first triathlon ever. And I think I learned a lot. Uh, we started obviously in the swimming pool and um, that went quite well. I actually enjoyed myself um, swimming and having so many uh, supporters, spectators, parents and teachers that were uh, watching and cheering us on. And then after that was the biking, which also went quite well. But I really struggled once I had to start running basically because I had given my all already in the swimming and in the biking. Um, but as long as there were onlookers, spectators, supporters uh, cheering me on, I managed to run. But I remember reaching the back end of the campus uh, where the boarding school is, and then I had to turn left, and then suddenly there was nobody there. There was a whole stretch where I was basically running alone. And immediately I gave up running. I just walked, I couldn't run, until I saw people again, um, and then I forced myself to run, and that is actually how it worked for me. It's a bit of a confession here, but that is how I did my first triathlon. And then I reached the 400 meter tracks, which you see on the left of the picture, and we were supposed to do three, run, three loops, three rounds there, and I just couldn't run anymore. I just walked basically the first uh, lap. But then Trent joined. Trent came a bit later, he came behind me, but he was much more experienced. He knew much better how to pace himself. He was not as exhausted as I was. And the second and the third lap, we did together. And suddenly I managed to run again and without too much problem actually. Um, and that was just because Trent was keeping me company. We were running together. And I don't think I'm claiming anything new when I say that um, supporters and the cheering on in sports makes a world of a difference. And I find running together much easier than running alone. Now, the Bible also compares the Christian life in a few verses, and, and one of them is Hebrews 12. The Bible compares the Christian life to a race. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And today we continue our series on the life of Joseph, and we will see how he ran his race, the race that was set before him. And we see that he ran it well when people were watching and also when there were no people watching. So let's read the chapter, Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, 
and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as he saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie to me, to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story again. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. And as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So Joseph was a young man in um, Genesis 37, where we started last week he was 17 years old and here in the beginning of chapter 39 he should still be around that age maybe 18 by now um, but a young man and handsome we read and he had his whole life before him and he ran the race that was set before him and he ran it so well it was not really the race that he would select for himself it was set before him it was like okay joseph this is it this is your life this is your race now run it and i asked myself the question how is it that joseph could run so well 
Why is it that he didn't fail? Why is it that he never gave up? Um, what kept him going? And where did he get his training? Now let's have a look at his childhood. Joseph was the 11th son in the family. We saw that last week when we looked at his 10 brothers. And the first six years of his life, he was um, living with his family in Padan Aram and also with his grandfather Laban. And Jacob, his father, would speak about God and acknowledge that God was with him, was with them. And that was the on the one on the one hand, but on the other hand, Joseph also observed that Jacob was very much like, okay, God is with us, but you also need to be smart. You also need to help God a bit by helping yourself. Um, Jacob was very much like that most of his life, and Joseph observed that. So when Joseph was about six years old, his family suddenly left Padan Aram, and Jacob, who came alone to Padan Aram, now went back to his roots together with the whole family. And one thing during that journey that must have left a deep impression on Joseph was that day when he suddenly noticed that his father was limping. See, talking about my father, about myself, my father, my father has nine and a half fingers instead of ten. It's been like that all my life. But of course, there was one day when I, for the first time, discovered that my father had only nine and a half fingers, that one or half a finger was missing. And I would ask my father, of course, what, Papa, what happened? And then he would share the story, how he was working and um, with his sewing machine and the machine chopped off his finger. And since then, and each time I see my father playing the guitar, I remember that story. And Joseph had a similar experience as in um, one day he found out or he realized or he saw his father limping. It had not always been like that, but one day it started. And he must have asked his father, Papa, what happened? And Jacob must have shared with Joseph about how he wrestled with God uh, that crucial night be before they were uh, to face and to meet Uncle Esau. And Jacob must have talked to his son and say, Joseph, I call that place Peniel, face of God. I have met with God, Joseph. I saw his face. And when I wrestled with him, he gave me this reminder when he struck me on the hip. And since then, I've been limping. Joseph, I remember that morning after the wrestling when the, at sunrise, when I limped away from that place, it was as if finally the, the sun rose even in my own life. That is when God changed my name and called me Israel. That is where he blessed me. And how often Moses, uh, Joseph must have thought of his father in those long years in Egypt. And Joseph remembered his father as a limping man, and he knew that God was real. But of course, there were also other memories, a memory from a much more recent past, 
um, when his brothers were all grown up and he himself was a young teenager, one day his half-sister, Dina, was raped. And he remembered how his older brothers reacted with so much violence and anger and killed the men of Shechem. And then they had to leave that place and move to battle. And um, then there was that special day where Father Jacob suddenly decided and told his, his sons, his daughters, his wives, his family, we can no longer compromise. I want you to bring to me all your idols and whatever foreign gods that somehow had a place in his family. Jacob said, no more compromise. Bring it here. We're going to have a ceremony. He buried it under a tree. Then Jacob made an altar to what he said, the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That was one of Joseph's memories. But then after that, another memory. His mother, Rachel, died. When Benjamin was born, she died in, in labor, actually. And God did not save her. His mother died. And then sometime later, um, Reuben, the older son, slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. It was such a messed up family, and we, we saw that last week when Sam was preaching in much more detail on, on how messed up this family was. And Joseph was part of that. He was, that was his upbringing. That was his childhood. But on the other hand, he also had a, a good life, um, secure in a sense. He was with his father, and he was very much favored. And then there were those two dreams um, that we talked about last week. And Joseph must have wondered, okay, what does this dream, these dreams, what do they mean? Am I to take this serious or are they just dreams? Maybe he knew also about the dreams that his father had in the past. His father also had dreams. Um, maybe there was a big question mark to Joseph. Okay, what, what, what is this? Um, and then came that tragic day that Joseph found himself in a pit. And then after that, chained and walking behind a camel or something all the way to Egypt. And then he found himself on a slave market. Just imagine that. Joseph was standing there on a slave market. What went through Joseph's head that day as he was standing on that slave market? The God who answers me in the day of my distress. Yeah, right. You know what? Life is cruel. Life is unfair. My mother died. Dina was raped. Um, my brothers live a life as if there is no God at all. And I am a slave now. But then he also remembered his father limping. I have met with God, Joseph. And of course, the Bible does not give us many details about the thoughts or what, 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 what was going on in the head of, and in the mind of Joseph. The Bible just gives us these stories to read and to reflect on. And they are very raw and unpolished, very real stories of 
people just like you and me. And the question we need to ask ourselves is what would I do and how would I respond in those circumstances? How do I run the race that is set before me? So let's have a look at four points in, uh, in this chapter that we read. One thing that is very obvious is that Joseph does not have all the answers. Of course, we can read through the whole story from beginning to end, and we have the, we have the whole story and we know how it ends. But Joseph is part of the story. He is in that story as it unfolds. And he does not know what is going to happen next. I don't know whether he thought of those dreams that he had and whether he was attaching any value or hope to, to those dreams. But even if he did, it takes a very creative mind to picture a scenario where his brothers would come to Egypt and bow down to him because as a matter of fact, he was a slave in Egypt. Well, Joseph didn't write his own story. God did. Joseph was not laying out the tracks. He only had to run the race. And that is what he did. Joseph realized that he had to choose. Um, of course, being a slave, there was not much to choose in the sense that he just had to obey orders. Uh, that's very obvious. But he still could choose how he would obey orders. He could still choose whether he would put his heart in it or not. He could decide about his attitude um, and about his commitment when his master observed him, but also when nobody observed him. He could still decide on whether he was going to be honest or dishonest. That's the second thing. Joseph decided to do what was right. He served Potiphar to the best of his capacities and with absolute integrity. And God blessed that. He made him successful. Joseph is, mo is made overseer in the house of uh, Potiphar, overseer over the whole estate, and he is in charge of everything. And it, this didn't happen overnight. Um, Genesis 39 uh, through chapter 41 covers a period of 13 years. And Joseph, the favorite son of a rich patriarch, now serves as a slave with an amazing consistency and integrity for years. And that was a choice. Of course, Joseph could have come up with, uh, with many arguments why he should just give up on God. You know, there was so much hypocrisy in his family. Um, and, and God didn't seem to be true to his word anyway. He never protected his mother. He never protected Dina. He never protected himself. So why not just forget about God, just conform to Egypt and worship their gods and just blend in as much as possible. And maybe one day by being smart and maybe by being a bit less honest, he could earn his own freedom. But no. Joseph chooses to hold fast to the God of his father, the God of Peniel, face of God. And notice that God never spoke directly to Joseph as he would speak directly to Abram and Isaac and Jacob. Um, 
to those three, God would speak directly, but not to Joseph. Nowhere you read that God speaks directly to Joseph, at least not that I'm aware of. All that he had, had was those two fancy dreams and the stories of his father. But these stories were real. And Joseph believed in the God of his father. Joseph had faith in God. And not a sort of half half face like faith, like I, I, I don't know, but you know, just stick to it. He's very confirmed in his faith and he doesn't keep that faith to himself. Whenever there's an opportunity, Joseph speaks about God. In a pagan country with so many idols, Joseph is not afraid to witness for the true God. You see that in, in this chapter, uh, when he is speaking to Potiphar's wife, he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And also in the following chapter, when he's talking to the cupbearer and the baker, do not interpretations belong to God? And even to Pharaoh in chapter 41, he says, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And also in chapter 42, when he meets his brothers, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them when they come to Egypt. He tells them, I fear God. See, Joseph does not have all the answers, but he chooses to do what is right. He believes in the true God and he speaks about him. And lastly, Joseph does not compromise. Joseph was a handsome young man. We read that in verse 6. And Potiphar in his position most likely would also have had an attractive woman as his wife. And she is after Joseph. Just imagine that. Here is a handsome young man, single, separated from his family, manager of an estate, and a woman wants him. And she is very straightforward in her advances. And because she says, lie with me, Joseph. And, and she tries not just once, but day after day, it says in verse 10. People, that is very tough. But unlike what some of the filmmakers make of this chapter, Joseph does not give an inch. It says in verse 10, he would not listen to her, lie beside her, or to be with her. And that is where filmmakers like to make it a bit more juicy than this uh, a, a little compromise a little kissing and then suddenly he he backs off but that is not what the text says he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her there's no room for compromise there's no room for self-confidence when it comes to temptations especially sexual temptations don't think that you can allow yourself some room and play around the edge. The Bible doesn't say know your strength, know your boundaries, know how far you can go. The Bible has just one thing to say and that is run, flee temptation. Joseph refused to listen to her or to be with her, not even a cup of coffee together. And verse 11 makes it very clear that on that memorable day, 
Um, the, Joseph was in the house not because he was playing around the edge. He, he had to be there because he had to do his work. The text makes it very clear. And then let's look at what he says to his master's wife. Basically, he says, I am managing this estate because my master trusts me. How can I sacrifice my career and more importantly, my integrity? I can't do that. It is not an option. You see, sexual temptation and sexual sin makes a fool of you. It blinds you. Again and again, you hear stories of people that sacrifice their families, their relationship with their children, their financial stability, their career, their good conscience, their integrity. They, they sacrifice all that for love, so-called love. But a better word would be lust. And it is foolish. And Joseph says, no, I can't do that. Secondly, he says, you are my master's wife. So you are already married. It's not even an option. It is as simple as that. And then applying that to ourselves, to us men in particular, but even women, but more common among men. That woman on the screen is maybe not married, most probably. And it's just digital. It, it's not real. People don't fool yourself. It is as real as anything. And that nude woman on the screen is maybe not married, but she is someone's daughter. At least remember that she is someone's daughter. And if that does not help you to stay away from porn, then remember that that woman on the screen was created by God, by God himself and in his own image. It is not an option. One day in the life of uh, Joseph, um, in his childhood, when he was around six years old, um, his uncle Laban spoke to Jacob and he said, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. I don't know whether Joseph remembered that. He was a young, a young child. Maybe he did, but at least let this verse speak to us. See, God is witness between you and me. And that is Joseph's third argument and maybe the most important argument. He says, I cannot sin against God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It is not an option. And so Joseph runs out of the house. And immediately you see the lie of what is so often called love. This attractive woman that promised love and pleasure and all that immediately turns into a lying monster and Joseph is thrown into prison. So now he's not only a slave, but now he is a slave in prison. What could be more unfree than being a slave in prison? But let me tell you this, uh, this morning, Joseph went to prison a free man, free in his conscience, free in his relationship with God, 
he went to prison a free man. It said in verse 2, when he came to Potiphar's house and the Lord was with Joseph. And again, when he enters, ends up in prison, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was a free man. But his brothers, although not in prison, they were not free. Each day their conscience was haunting them. And each time they saw their father Jacob, they remembered the lie, the secret. Joseph, we sold him. But God was working on them too. If there's one thing that I want to learn from this chapter and this story of Joseph, it is this. For God's sake, please run the race and run it well. But at the same time, even if you and I mess up, even if it is as bad as Judah did in taking the initiative in selling Joseph, and then later on in chapter 38, the chapter that we skipped today, but you can read it for yourself, you see how he's fooling around with Tamar. But God is working on Judah. We will see that in two weeks' time. Um, and the Savior, Jesus Christ, ultimately came not from the line of Joseph, but from the line of Judah and Tamar. I call that amazing grace. So then, how do we run the race that is set before us? Let's turn again to that verse in Hebrews 12. Let me read for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. See, we are not running the race alone. I gave up running that day at, at the triathlon at Raffles uh, when nobody was watching. But in the race of our Christian life, we never run alone. We are constantly surrounded by witnesses. All the men and women of Hebrews 11, the previous chapter, and Joseph is one of them. They are surrounding us, cheering us on, encouraging us, don't give up. And we don't only have those who went before us, but we have also those that are running alongside us today, like Trent and I that day, running together. We have brothers and sisters. We have the church. And then it says, lay aside every weight and sin. Weight is everything that you carry of which God never asked you to carry it. Think about that. What are you carrying through life? What are the things 
what is the weight you're carrying that God never asked you to carry. You need to lay that aside. And then sin, of course, is everything that you carry that you need to confess and forsake. You can't run with a heavy backpack. And then verse 2, looking to Jesus. In Hebrews 6.20, it says of Jesus that he is the forerunner. He went before us. He has already arrived. But he knows what we are going through. We're not called to focus on ourselves or on our own performance or our own stamina to endure. We have to focus on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look at him. He endured the cross for you. He despised the shame for you. Why did he do that? For the joy that was set before him. Which joy? Well, to welcome you at the finish line. To say those words, well done. To present you to his father. Our Jesus is right now at the right hand of God in heaven. And he is waiting for us. And in the meantime, he is interceding for us. And one day we reach the finish line. One day we cross that line. That is the day that we meet Jesus face to face. And don't you want to hear those words? Well done. And then maybe because we're going to spend a long time in heaven, maybe one day we uh, walk into Jacob. Hey, that's Jacob. Hey, Jacob, come over here. I want to ask you a question. Jacob, what was the hardest part in your race, in your run? And then Jacob would say, well, in fact, the whole race was very hard. But if you ask me when Rachel died and when I was separated from Joseph for 13 years, that was really, really hard. So, Jacob, how did you manage then to keep running? And Jacob says, well, that's funny. You see, I had been running my own race in my own strength for the longest time until that night at Peniel when I wrestled with God. And talking about running, since that day I have been limping actually. But that was when I started learning to not rely on myself. That's when I saw the face of God and he blessed me there and all the hardship of losing Rachel and Joseph and this whole episode with Dina and with Reuben and Bila and with uh, Judah and Tamar all that hardship came after that but I had seen the face of God and I think that kept me going and then as you're talking to Jacob suddenly you also see Joseph hey Joseph come come over here I want to ask you a question as well how did you manage to, to keep running? And how did you manage to finish so well? Oh, says Joseph, let my father respond to that because he formulated it quite well that day when he blessed me in Genesis 49. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. 
but his bow remained steady. His arms were made agile because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you. <laughs>